Hello and welcome to I Wanna Fight Anarchy, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Close Analysis Podcast. I'm Thomas. And I am the thinnest, whitest duke. <laughs> and today, very fitting that you bring up a David Bowie character because we are covering Diamond is Unbreakable episodes 20, 21, and 22. Um, yeah, these are pretty big ones, so, um, we, you know, let's just get right into it. Alright. So, Yukako has been depressed ever since her fight against Koichi. She still harbors feelings for him, but chooses to keep her distance. As she walks the streets of Morio, she notices a girl run out of a salon called Cinderella, claiming that the makeover it provided allowed her to get a boyfriend. Yukako walks inside and meets with the salon's owner, Aya Suji. Aya begins to scan Yukako's face using advanced facial recognition technology, and concludes that despite her good looks, she always drives men away. Yukako is suspicious of Aya's claims, but Aya assures her that if she doesn't find love, love with the makeup of the salon, she'll return the money. Yukako agrees, and Aya asks Yukako to close her eyes. When she does so, Aya uses her stand, a marionette with a pink chestplate and crown called Cinderella, to change Yukako's eyes to be more attractive by turning them into a panel that could be swapped out with one of Cinderella's creations. After the salon, Yukako bumps into Koichi, and the two have an extremely flirtatious date in a local cafe. Just before it seems like the two are about to kiss, Koichi gets a stomach ache and runs off, accidentally taking Yukako's bag. The effect of Cinderella dis disappears at the same time, and Yukako attributes Koichi's swift exit to that. Yukako, furious, walks back to the salon and demands to get the effects of Cinderella back. Aya tells Yukako that the young stand users will only ever be able to find love if she has a willingness for it, but agrees to reapply the effects of Cinderella. In order to preserve the effect, Yukako must apply a special lipstick every half hour. Yukako agrees to the terms and lays down to receive a full treatment. Just before Aya uses her stand, however, Yukako grabs her with Love Deluxe, saying that even though Aya is a stand user, Yukako trusts her. Yukako runs into Koichi and they trade bags before Rohan appears and drags Koichi to department store along with Koichi's family, Josuke, Joseph, and Joseph's baby. Once inside, things seem normal until the flash of Rohan's camera causes the baby to use Akutung baby. To avoid any question, questions, Josuke and Joseph run outside, causing a chain reaction that sends Koichi into Yukako's arms and they kiss. Later at school, Koichi tells Josuke and Okuyasu that he has feelings for Yukako, and while Josuke is unsure about trusting Yukako, he figures that if they both have feelings for each other, there shouldn't be a problem. Koichi agrees, but says that ever since, Yukako has been avoiding him. Josuke says that he doesn't want to get involved, but if there's danger, he'll come running. Koichi thanks his friends and walks home. On the street, he notices Yukako, but Yukako, now having black eyes, feigns knowing him. Yukako runs to the salon and confronts Aya as to why the makeup is falling apart. Aya reminds her of the lipstick as more and more of Yukako disappears. Aya explains that those parts of her are gone forever. Yukako prepares to kill Aya when Koichi walks into the room, now confident of Yukako's identity. Aya offers one last chance to Yukako. If she can pick her own face out of many of Cinderella's copies, she will be restored to normal. But if she can't, she will be stuck with the fake face forever. As Aya thinks to herself about how all the faces offered are fake, Yukako begins to panic over all the options. She decides to have Koichi choose instead, saying that as long as he chooses, she will be satisfied. 
Koichi chooses, but instead offers a counteroffer. He asks Aya to attack and blind Echoes, so that if he chooses wrong, Yukaka won't feel shame at Koichi seeing her wrong face. Koichi places his choice into Yukako, and she is restored to normal, as Aya thinks to herself about how moved she was by Koichi's potential sacrifice, and could, be and could bend the rules for the new couple. In the villas of Morio sits Yoshikage Kira, who eats breakfast with the severed hand of a woman. As he goes about his day's business, later, later at around lunchtime, several of Kira's co-workers ask him to attend lunch with them, but he refuses. Kira instead heads to a high-end sandwich shop and begins placing the severed hand on several of the sandwiches, licking its fingers and the like. He sits down at a picnic spot, at picnic spot and comments on how beautiful the town is. He begins to eat the sandwich from the, from the severed hand, but notices it getting ripe and puts it back in the sandwich bag. A dog comes by and begins pawing at it, but Kira shoes it away. Meanwhile, in the same park, Josuke and Okuyasu run into Shigechi and bum some money off of him in order to pay for lunch. As Shigechi writes the IOU for the money, Shigechi's sandwich bag is snatched by the dog, and Shigechi mistakes it for Kira's swapping the bags. Kira realizes the mix-up and pursues Shigechi, attempting to snag the bag, but failing each time. Eventually, Kira follows Shigechi to his school, where the middle schooler is joined by Josuke and Okuyasu as they steal tea and coffee. Kira is able to snag the hand out of the bag by using a coat hanger, and just before... He's about to be discovered by Harvest. A teacher knocks on the room. The boys the boys are in, causing them to leg it. Kira emerges with the hand in the sandwich bag until Shigechi doubles back, wondering why an adult would be at his middle school with his sandwich. Kira attempts to play dumb, but the bag is pulled open by Harvest, revealing the hand. Kira sighs and explains that he just wants to live a quiet life, but now that Shigechi has discovered his secret, he needs to be killed. A darkness begins to surround Kira, and he summons his stand, a white humanoid with wrestling gear and cat-like features with red eyes named Killer Queen. Shigechi instant instantly surrounds Kira with Harvest and demands answers on who exactly he is. When he does so, however, he, notice some, he notices something in Killer Queen's hand and snatches it. He realizes it is a 100 yen coin, and Kira explains Killer Queen's ability, the power to turn anything it touches into a bomb. The coin explodes in Shigechi's face. Shigechi manages to survive the attack, and Kira begins to interrogate Shigechi about Josuke and Okuyasu as well as their stands, but Shigechi refuses to give up anything on them, even under the threat of his family being killed. Shigechi also puts together that Kira is the very same killer that killed Raimi and who the boys have been searching for. Shigechi manages to escape Kira by using a distraction with Harvest and crawls his way back into the school. Shigechi thinks of how he needs to protect his friends and family by warning Josuke. Unfortunately, when Shigechi grabs the handle to the classroom, Kira appears in the window to explain that Killer Queen has turned it into a bomb. Kira activates the trigger and obliterates Shigechi. In Josuke's classroom, however, one Harvest manages to keep walking, holding a button from Kira's jacket. It cries out for help and explodes. In Raimi's alley, she sees Shigechi's soul travel through to the afterlife and calls together all, this, all of the stand users in Morio. Raimi confirms that Kira is indeed the same killer that killed her. With the knowledge that the murderer is a stand user, Jotaro and Joseph agree to help in the investigations. Meanwhile, Kira, finally tired of the hand he's been carrying around, destroys it and seduces a new woman to kill her and cut off her hand. 
Three days pass with no new leads. Jotaro and Koichi bump into each other, and Jotaro explains that he has been investigating tailors around the butt about the button, but with no luck. He and Koichi pass a cobbler, but notice in the window that they also do small tailoring repairs. They step inside and ask the owner about the jacket, and he recognizes the button, but just as he is about to tell them the name, the name, a miniature blue tank adorned with Killer Queen's symbol burrows its way into the owner's mouth as Kira's shadowy figure escapes with his fixed jacket, leaving Jotaro and Koichi to fight the mysterious new foe. End of episodes. She's a killer queen. Got power of jealousy. <laughs> with a laser beam. Guaranteed to blow your mind. Anytime. I like how you had the voice crack in there. That was good. Yeah, that was not on purpose. <laughs> Very often times I like to do them on purpose, but this time was not one of those times. Yeah, so um, these episodes... Um, I don't have that much to say about the Yukako stuff, honestly. I know you have something to say, so why don't why don't you start with that? I have a couple of things. We got first of all, we got Yukako with her character development. I'm just clapping my hands for some reason. <laughs> uh, character development question mark? I don't know. She's trying to. Well, she definitely learned from the previous time in which she literally tried to kill Koichi. She's like, how about how about I choose a better method and not kidnap about, the person that I like? How about if I'm in love with someone, I try not to kill them? Yeah. That would be good. And so she goes with that. You know, she's trying to be wholesome now. She's like, you know what? I actually love Koichi and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to be mm-hmm. kidnappy and shit. So she, she's trying her very best, but sometimes we can see in these episodes that she she still has some anger problems. Yeah, she still has her sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like just... Ra- rage. Yeah, rage is a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think, um, I mean, in a way though, it like it's kind of like humbling for her to have this experience, you know, like first like the experience of Koichi fighting her uh, at in the end of her first episodes um but then as well like you know i mean this is essentially like something this is an episode about like identity in a way where it's like actually think about it i guess that's like another theme of part four but um she uh, this is an episode about identity and um you know like her kind of trying to alter her identity um and what I, what I think is kind of interesting in this episode is that um, it's very clear that, um, like, Cinderella, the stand, is, like, not having a meaningful effect on the situation. Like, it's pretty clear that Koichi, you know, even without Cinderella making Yukako look prettier, uh, like, has feelings for um, Yukako, which um, uh, I want to fight a Rocky PSA, uh don't date your stalker. Uh, don't do not do that. That would be bad. Is that the <laughs> second time we've done a PSA yeah. on this? <laughs> yes, yeah. technically. But it, it bears repeating. <laughs> um, don't date your stalker. <laughs> I think there was another time that didn't have anything to do with you, Gecko. Also, Thomas, you said you didn't have anything for this episode. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking off the cut. You know, once we get going is when the, 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 big, brain the big brain juices start flowing. Galaxy brain. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I had a very small big brain moment right before we started recording. I was like, hold on. I haven't seen these episodes in two weeks. And yet now I'm thinking about them and I'm th- thinking things, you know. Thinking the things, the things, the consider things. Consider the stand is called Cinderella. What if, what if, now, hear me out now. <laughs> what if it's 
this little story, this little one-off story, is a deconstruction of the original Cinderella story. Mm. Perhaps it is. Let's see. Let me consult the notes. There we go. Take All a right, shot, everyone. All right, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Um, give me a second. <laughs> the parallels are definitely intentional, as yeah. the stand is literally called Cinderella. And it also does the same thing that Cinderella does, even though it probably was also a reference to the 80s glam metal band. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be both. It was definitely both. Because we know Iraqi. We know how he is. Um, so... The parallels are intentional. Yukako is far different from Cinderella herself, but you have um, the stand, which literally does what the fairy godmother does, and mm-hmm. Aya, Aya literally calls herself, I'll be your fairy godmother queen, I right. got you. And Yukako is much different from Cinderella. Cinderella's like this, ah, oh, yes, nice, nice little young girl who's like, I will just clean my aunt's house and just like, and my stepsister's house, my mean family's <laughs> house, and just like, not stand up to them or anything, but Yukako, if Yukako was in Cinderella's position, she would... <laughs> she would she would fuck them up. Yeah, she would have fucked them up. <laughs> and, but she's not in this situation, but she's, like, very aggressive. Like, on the outside, yeah. she has Cinderella vibes, because on the outside, before you get to know her, she's, like, very sweet person. But, like, she could be very aggressive and overbearing sometimes, and a little bit crazy and stalkery and kidnappy, you know? I mean, um, maybe you could even say that the the first episode with Yukako, I mean, it's like a very, like, twisted version of it. But, like, she she is trapped in this house with Koichi. Um, and, like, she, she is the evil stepsister. Yeah, and she does, like, all the, but she does also, like, all the cooking and the cleaning and, like, you know, babies him, like, granted to, like, a psychotic extent. But, like, you know, it... it it's like a dark twist on the Cinderella thing. You either die Cinderella or you live long enough to become the evil stepsister. <laughs> but yeah, she's trying to be different and she wants to be different and not kidnappy anymore. But here's the thing. The episode, this last like episode that is Yukako focused ends with my man, Coochie. Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> um... She tries, you know, you you have the whole story of Cinderella and the prince, right? You know, him. Mm-hmm. He likes her despite the fact that she's, like, a maid. Or the kind of a maid, I guess. And, you know, despite the fact that she's poor, basically. And, but, but in this case, you don't really have a class struggle. It's more of, like, a... It's a struggle, well, but you have... I would say that you got Cinderella... As, like, the, you know, sort of, like, poster woman, almost, who is like, yes, all the little girls want to be like Cinderella, mm-hmm. but no little girls want to be like Yukako, <laughs> so... And, and no little girls should be like Yukako. Don't, don't stalk people. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if we could, if we actually take the fact that she has changed and is yeah. no longer stocky, stocky... Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious when I say I know, that. <laughs> but, like, if we just take that into account... And say she doesn't do that anymore. That's behind her now. She just happens to be like a very aggressive person. And we discover at the end that Koichi, I'm pretty sure it's been like a hot minute, but I'm pretty sure Koichi says something about like, she's like, oh, but like, I'm, I'm too aggressive and mean and yeah, you don't like that. And he's like, actually, I like strong women. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a deconstruction of the Cinderella myth in which the ideal woman, <laughs> in this case, 
whatever. It's such it's such a jumbled point that I have. But basically that, you know, the ideal woman in the Cinderella story is not, like, really real. And more likely you'll meet someone like you, Kako, I guess. <laughs> like, who is, like, not, not necessarily a stalker, but simply not perfect. She's flawed. She's flawed, you know? Not like Cinderella, who really didn't have any flaws, other than that she was poor. Yeah. Like, that's not the thing now. There's, like, not, you know... I think... There's still some class shenanigans, but it's more about, you know... Yeah. <laughs> well, you could even, like, extend the parallels to, like, a lot of other things. Because, you know, of course, Cinderella ends with the... Cinder uh, Cinderella, you know, leaves the glass slipper and the prince you know, goes around trying to find, you know, who this glass slipper belongs to. And it kind of is like the scene where Koichi is picking Yukako's face. Like, he's trying to, like, find the right face for her. Um, but then kind of the inversion comes in where it's like, it to Koichi, it actually doesn't matter, like, if... Um, if, she, if he has the right face, if Yukako fits in the glass slipper, if you will, um, because he is just that, you know, uh, in love with her, uh, at this point. Um, and, uh, I mean, that, that was the other thing that, that came into my mind when you were talking, but, um, I think that's a very good point. Going off of that again, because you helped me continue my big brain <laughs> moment. We have, like, you got Cinderella, glass slipper, <laughs> give me a second. You have what Thomas just said. Yeah. Like, the prince doesn't care that Cinderella is poor or not, or, you know, that she isn't actually, like, this super, like, you know, not, like, a princess type. But Ko Koichi doesn't care about that, but he also doesn't, like... It's not that he doesn't care about her flaws, it's just that he's willing to help her work through them, I guess. And it's just interesting how he, like, he doesn't want, like, this dainty, pretty woman. He's like, yes, strong woman. I mean, <laughs> I think what it is is, like, you know, if, if, if you love a person, like, you love them because of their flaws, you know? Like... Araki goes a step if, further than Cinderella. <laughs> if, if, if you are, um, like, yeah, just, if you love a person, you love them because of their flaws, because if they didn't have their flaws, then they wouldn't be the person that they are. Um, I think we got it. Yes, we got it. In conclusion, Araki goes a step further than the original Cinderella story. Instead of just saying, you know, I, I don't love you even though I, I love you even though you're poor. It's I love you even though you kind of have problems sometimes. But I'm here for you anyways. Mm -hmm. I still love you. Like <laughs> yeah, and of course Cinderella is not poor by the end of the fairy tale, yeah. and Yukako is still angie by by the end of this episode she's working through it she's trying her best yeah um all right so let's oh, get one more thing oh yeah go ahead go one ahead. more thing about the yukako episodes is that there has been um tw i always so you know how much i love the score of part mm -hmm. three right the mm -hmm. score of part three is it slaps it's very good it's so well done in part four part four has its own score apart from part three yeah however one particular bit of the score from part three has now come back twice, and in these episodes came back a third time. Um, I think it came back twice. Did it happen in the... It, it's the the bit from the score where it's like, ah, oh, yes, everything is good now. Happy times yeah. are bad. It's like, the, it's like the looking into the future think, hopeful bit. I'm pretty sure it happened it, twice before. It may... Does it play during, like... It plays during, during a, a Joseph 
interaction or something like that I in feel part like four. It did. So it it plays sometime in part four. I, we I, know that I much. Think it but yeah, during the Joseph interaction, and I know for a fact it did play in the rat one. Oh, you know what? It 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 plays. I think when he's getting off the boat. Yes. All right. Um. But yes, c- continue. I know what piece you're talking about. But it plays again in this episode for some goddamn reason. Like the other two, it made a lot more sense because old Joseph, he was in part three, and then Jotaro, you know, Josuke was bonding with him. Mm-hmm. He was in part three. This was different, but it's. I guess it still had a same, like a similar vibe. Like at the end, when they like, when Koichi and Yukako are like, "Yes, we love each other," that plays, and I'm like, interesting. I guess it's just used to emphasize that this is a, a, a big moment. This is a big happy moment. Yeah. Um, it. I guess in Stardust Crusaders, it's more of like, you know, sort of a camaraderie love, you know, uh, like love between the <laughs> love between the bros, the, homies. the homie kissing the homies. Good night. Yeah, right. Um, but this is like romantic love. Um, so when love is had. Yes. Um, when, all right. When Josuke sort of grew a little bit of love for his old dad, mm-hmm. and then also proceeded to to bond with his nephew, <laughs> <laughs> which is still weird to say. <laughs> nephew. Um, I'm done. All right, cool. Uh, so shall we? Shall we get into the big? <laughs> um. Yeah. This is the first time we're where kira is like in the spotlight um and i mean what a first impression uh kira is probably um i think i can't remember if we've said this on the podcast or not but uh kira is probably one of the best villains in the whole franchise um it's it's between him and the part six villain and the part seven villain for me um but i mean just in terms of like sheer intimidating behavior and um i guess i i don't even know where to start uh with these episodes i think it's interesting that we i guess we can just start with like more of like the meta stuff because it was the first thing that popped into my head where you know this these episodes are basically well the first one specifically is framed where like kira is written as the protagonist um which i think is kind of interesting um where like we see things from his perspective uh you know it it is specifically the the filmmaking is like specifically tense when um you know he's trying to get the hand out of the bag and things like that um and so i think i i think it's interesting i in in many ways it it is reflective of kira's psyche about himself where um and we'll get into this more as we continue on, but I think a major thing with Kira is that he's very hypocritical in a lot of ways. Um, he keeps talking, like, his his big speech to Shigechi in these episodes where he's like, I'm 33, I, you know, I live in just these basic houses, I work a basic job, and, you know, I just want to live a normal life, but but clearly he he does not because he murders women and cuts off their hands and starts licking the hands and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and I, I, I think um, like, so Kira, I guess the point I'm trying to get to is that Kira views himself as like the protagonist as like the, 
maybe not the hero of the story, but like the focus of the story. Uh, and because of that, he doesn't really realize the, you know, knock on effects that he has on people. You know, I mean, Kira is the whole, uh, it is going to be a major focus for the rest of the part moving forward. It, you know, there's the stuff with Raimi, like Shigechi is really a wake up call for a lot of the characters. Um, and I, it, I, I just thought it was interesting that it's like, you know, to, to have this writing perspective uh, in, in the first uh, episode with him. Two things based on that. We have, first, we love it when the villain is the protagonist, even if it is quite briefly. Mm-hmm. It's so... Because whenever a character is the protagonist, no matter what, you will find yourself rooting for them, even if they literally suck. Yeah. Which is why Death Note is such an effective show for most of it. Um, yeah, I, def- I, I definitely got the little bit of Death Note vibes happening, only because they have, you know, two serial killers who can kill people with a special power that is makes it incredibly easy to kill people. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, at least part of it's from their perspective. Um my man, Light Yagami, how you living? <laughs> Another thing that I guess serial killers in general have in common, but definitely what, what Kira has with Light Yagami after gaining such a power is he becomes incredibly egotistical and does not, you know, really care about how others feel. I didn't even realize this until he, like, brought it up. But, like, he sees himself, you know, everyone sort of sees themselves as the main character in their own story, but Kira especially because he has so little regard for those around him it's insane like he doesn't he doesn't even consider the effect that he has on others he's completely and utterly self-centered and never thinks about anybody but himself you can tell by basically just how he acts around other people and especially the fact that he kills people with no remorse whatsoever for his own gain just it's interesting he's probably there's a lot of incredibly egotistical villains in jojo but he somehow might you know, be the most. Yeah. Like, Dio is so egotistical, but at the same time, he, he kind of pales in comparison to Kira. Like, Car- like all of the villains in JoJo are so egotistical, except for maybe, like, Poochie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's crazy. I think, um... I, so, uh, another aspect of Kira, and this is sort of in the same thing, but another aspect of Kira is, um, there are... Uh, a staggering amount of parallels between him and Josuke. Uh, probably more than any other hero villain in the franchise. Um, and so we could sort of look at this in a lot of different ways, and I'm sure we'll be bringing up more as we go along, but for now, sticking with this whole framing idea, um, you know, it's it's been said a lot and it's been written a lot, and I think it, it's something that I... I can mostly agree with um, is that like Josuke isn't really like the protagonist of Diamond is Unbreakable. Like he's he's there. He's the Jojo of the part. But really, the protagonist is Koichi and Josuke is more of a supporting character. Um, And that is, of course, in parallel to Kira, who, as we've established, um, sort of views himself as the main character, um, in a way. That, and I think, um, you know, as you were saying, Emily, where it's like, Josuke, like, Kira has no regard for other people. He is incredibly 
self-centered and motivated by his own you know desires and perversions and things like that whereas josuke is quite the opposite i mean he's very selfless you know he's very willing to put himself uh in danger to help other people you know he literally a, a teenage kid trying to hunt down a serial killer because you know it's the right thing to it's do. the right exactly yeah um you won't gain anything out of it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's putting himself in danger by, like, you know, he's putting a target on his back by hunting Kira, but um, nevertheless, he he chooses to do it anyway. Also, another thing, just to, just to compare Kira to the rest of the JoJo villains and why he's so different from the rest of them, is you get, like, I'm more familiar with the ones in the animated, and what's been animated so far, because like Redstone Ocean, I haven't finished Steel Ball Run yet. We get in there. Mm-hmm. We get in there for sure. But you have, um, I'll especially take into consideration Cars, Dio, and Diavolo, who all are incredibly self-centered, but sort of in a different way. Not nearly, like, you'd think that they would be the most so. And I thought they were, too, yeah. until you until you see Kira. And I, I guess they have some regard for other people. Despite the fact that they don't really care about other people, they at least have, like, goons that work under them. They have at least some value over those that work under them. Like, mm-hmm. just, you know, even though, like, Dio doesn't really care if any of them die, neither does Diavolo. Cars doesn't really have any people that, like, work under him, per se. They kind of do, but, like, not really sort of more so alongside them. But he still considers himself as better than the two of them. At least, you know, the three of those, that they have... They at least have this other human yeah. interaction with them, but Kira has nobody. He does everything completely solo, even less regard for those that, like, they these guys have people, but they don't care if he dies. Kira cares so little that he doesn't even have anybody. You know, that's a really interesting point, um, because, you know, it it's not Kira who creates the, the stand users going forward. It's Kira's dad. Um and so like kira doesn't even think like to manipulate other people he he's just solo i think as well what uh, what makes kira intimidating for me personally is that um you know he he's just a guy like he's just a dude um like we have of course it's not 200 year old vampire yeah dio is like this crazy uber powerful <laughs> vampire like the pillar men are like basically like advanced humans slash aztec gods and like uh diavolo is like a mafia boss but like kira is like he he's an office worker like that's it um some guy and i mean the the idea that like just a normal person you know i mean like like the the co-workers like want to invite him out to lunch like you know he's like a normal person except for the fact that you know he's uh a killer and like that's what is terrifying he doesn't even accept their offer to lunch yeah he cares he doesn't you know back again considering himself as the protagonist he does not consider anybody else around them as even like valid people to have interactions with mm-hmm. like he it, it's just that terrifying like that that's alarming like no empathy whatsoever no consideration for others at all i mean you could even tie that in with his stand uh killer queen where uh you know killer queen is like a cat so like 
Um, <laughs> Cats don't care about other people. Well, the more so that, you know, like Crazy Diamond, like uh, Star Platinum, like they're clearly like humanoid stands. But the fact that like Killer Queen is a cat is like, like Kira values cats more than he does human life in a way. Yeah, I, um, that's actually really interesting. He <laughs> he doesn't value people at all. Uh, speaking of Killer Queen, um, yet another parallel that we could talk about is um, is the stands uh, between Kira and Josuke, where Killer Queen has the power to destroy anything, and uh, Crazy Diamond, of course, is the opposite. It can fix anything, um, and you know, both at remarkable speeds. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's uh, again, it's another thing. It's like um kira like wants to destroy like anything in his path because like he's the protagonist he's the main character whereas like josuke wants to you know surround himself with like people and these things and like his power is is to like make sure that you know those people and those things that like make him strong like stay that way um it i mean it's it's one of my favorite parts one of my favorite aspects about this part is are the parallels between Josuke and uh, Kira. There's also the fact that part four is very centered around the fact that this is a large group of people that are stopping the serial killer together. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not something that Josuke is doing on his own. He has his posse. Like, even though, like, a lot of the stand users that they run into don't actually really do anything... Raimi still calls a meeting of all of them, even Tonio, like literally mm-hmm. all the stand users, everybody in the town that they meet is pretty much at this meeting. There's like, especially because it's in the town as well. Like this is the only JoJo part that takes place in one place pretty much. Yeah. And because of that, you know, all of the, the entire town is very unified together. You get to see how they all work together. They never work apart. There's always like a push and pull. There's always a you do this for me, I do this for you. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always helping each other out all the time. And Kira's the only one that isn't doing that, which is, I think, pretty interesting. He's the only one that's completely outside the loop because he doesn't want to be in the loop. You know, I think there's also an interesting parallel between Kira and Rohan in a way where, um, you know, Rohan is like an is very much an isolationist before the fight. Like he just focuses on himself and like he's very selfish in a lot of ways, like doesn't even respect like human life. Like he's willing to, you know, uh, like turn people into books just to have more material for his manga. Um, But it's because like he is sort of forced into these interactions with Koichi and Josuke and the like that he actually does learn to value human life and like grow as a, as a person. Um, And realizes that he's like, Oh wait, I can't, I am a writer. Yeah. (laughs) I have to actually like value humanity because that's all I write about in my whole job is to like capture human emotion in like a not fucked up way. So yeah, exactly. And you got, like, there's a lot of other characters like that, too. There's, like, Hazamata, who became hopefully less awful. Mm-hmm. Tamami, who became Koichi's bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> even those two, like, became docile afterwards. Akira just went to jail, but he was like, I'm not, I'll never do it again. <laughs> I don't, please don't beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, no, thinking about it, there's a lot of parallels and, like, mirrors and stuff between Kira and the other characters. The other, like, one-off stand users are just, like, Kira, but, like, a lot less. Yeah. Like, uh, they have the ability to grow out of what they were doing, and they did, but Kira, oh no, he's gone too far. I mean, I'm just trying to think about who we got coming up in terms of the the one-off stand users. Um, and I think you are, I think you're right, um... There is kind. There is kind of a. You know, most of the stand users, I would say, the vast majority, of the upcoming one-off stand users, um, uh, do go through some kind of change by the end of their fights, um, which I think is kind of interesting. It's like Kira is like he's resistant to change. You know, um, like he, I mean. You could even say, like, um, like Killer Queen, it, it turns anything into a bomb, uh, is, like, it, it, the change, like, works halfway. Like, um, he just breaks stuff, um, and, like, that's the change. Whereas Josuke is, like, okay, I broke this thing, but now I can fix it, and it's, like, a new thing. Like, it's changed um, because... I took the time to actually, like, you know, process it and things like that. Um, it's a very spicy point, Thomas. Yeah. It was very spicy. Thank you. I just thought of it now. <laughs> well, it was good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, there's another... God, I have so many parallels. Uh, List them all. Go on. So the next one I I that I think is pertinent is... Um, and I might expand on this a bit later, but for now... Um, of course, Josuke's design is inspired by um, Yankees, who are which were you know uh, basically punks in Japan. Uh, you know, a couple of years before Part Four takes place, um, and so we've got like the sort of visual shorthand for a punk, uh, and then Kira, who's kind of like you know generic upstanding citizen on the surface, like wears a suit and tie, has a briefcase, you know you know is is offered lunch outings by his work colleagues like he's a very normal looking person but it's really their personalities are the opposite of what you would expect um, don't ever trust conformists only trust the street punks <laughs> this is a legitimate thing that i am saying <laughs> only, i'm not even exaggerating this isn't even a joke it's true no, only trust only trust people who wear pompadours yes all the weird looking people on the street are always the nicest um, ones i'm one of those weird looking people and i'm just lovely josuke prince uh that guy from uh, oh, uh women on the verge of a nervous <laughs> yeah <laughs> What's the parallel? <laughs> Josuke looks like Prince, and Kira looks like David Bowie. Yes, yeah. Um, by the way, do you have anything to add to that necessarily? Because I know you're a huge Bowie fan. I know this is something that Thomas has probably mentioned about me before, is that I could name most Bowie albums in order, mm -hmm. like, and the year that they came yeah. out, and because I listen to all of them regularly, I, I would say there's no parallels with the actual person. <laughs> Well, like any of the characters. No. Okay. Well, because like you had, I I haven't seen all the movies that he's in. Maybe you can make a connection with like, what's his name Newton from the Man Who Fell to Earth because he's like an alien who doesn't really care too much about people, 
and he's kind of like egotistical or at least becomes so but like it's not really that good of a parallel because it doesn't fit that well you could actually compare him a little bit to the character that he's based on actually the sin white duke um who is just supposed to be an asshole okay <laughs> like that the only like that's i guess the only thing they really have in common is because like i don't know like the whole tea or the story that he was trying to create with the thin white duke but like he was he was a dick and he mm-hmm. he he looks back he looked on back on that character and did not like him it was like he always said it was his darkest character he didn't really like being him after a while at all because he was, he was an asshole um so all right so one thing i was kind of thinking of is um and we can tie this to something that kira says in these episodes but you know kira visually is is based on david bowie um and his stand of course killer queen is based on the queen song um yo you could even make an argument that killer queen kind of looks like the aladdin same aladdin sane album cover because <laughs> it's like that man kind of looks like a cat in the weirdest way and he's also pink in that album cover so i wouldn't be surprised yeah possibly but um famously uh david bowie and freddie mercury did not like each other that much um so i think it's really interesting that not just queen but as we'll see later on um this david bowie inspired character has a lot of queen references yeah uh, of course we have killer queen three different queen references uh next time it's going to be sheer heart attack uh and then in future uh bites the dust um and i think that's kind of interesting um if i were to take a stab at like what that means is like it's almost like he's like setting him himself up for failure in a way like uh of course the one song that david bowie and uh queen collaborated on uh is a very good (laughs) under pressure is a very good song um but um it's not something their working relationship was not sustainable um because they didn't like each other um and so i think um that kind of that kind of ties in with uh my big theory of part four is uh, as I've mentioned previously, is that um, really part four is about um, like the concept that the universe, just the way it's designed or whatever, just will not let evil win. Like it will like jump through a million billion hoops to like put evil in its place. Um, and sort of having this David Bowie inspired character work, you know, and his stand be a queen, you know, reference kind of is like, like these two things are like not meant to be together. Um, like this is going to be a relationship that like, you know, might work temporarily, but in the long run, like is going to fail. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's the one time I think we're going to have something like, musical to tie into the uh into our analysis um but yeah and then of course kira um says during these episodes that he's like oh it's almost like the universe is looking out for me or it's like luck is like on my side or something like that um and again it's like yeah like maybe in the short term that's like what it is but um you know 
not in the long term. Like, Shigechi, the one, Shigechi gets a single button. Um, and already Jotaro and Koichi have seen Kira. Like, that is how much, like, Kira's control over his situation and identity is, like, spiraling already. Um, and, like, the, the, the universe is coming for him with the with the crowbars yeah. <laughs> to break his legs. You could also um, tie that like quote specifically back into the fact that he's like incredibly egotistical because everybody thinks that nothing bad will happen to them. Everyone goes through life being like, "This is gonna be fine," mm-hmm. and he does that as well. Like a lot of people are overconfident in that, in that way, but he's especially overconfident at this point because he's gotten away with it for so long and started to think that you know he's like, "No, you know." I've been fine for this long. Nothing can happen to me. And then suddenly, <laughs> Zawardo, <laughs> star the, platinum Zawardo. The world comes crashing down. Everyone thinks it's going to be Zawardo, okay until it that's isn't. Classic crashing down. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I I think that's about all I have for now. Unless you have more stuff. Oh, I have silly stuff. Uh, okay. Well, one thing I wanted to just say briefly. Um. And I think kind of helps your um, Cinderella point in the first episodes is, uh, you know, there's these frames in the in that episode where um, it's I don't even know how to describe it. It's like I guess you would describe it like storybook illustrations or like a cover where it's like these beautiful borders and like, you know, I, I mean, drawn beautifully with Aya and um, Yukako. And it I think that just. It's a small part that adds to, like, the storybook feel of those episodes. Um, Good vibes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now we can move on to the silly stuff, if you so wish. I have only two silly things recorded here. However, they are both incredibly, incredibly good and make up for the lack of them. Mm-hmm. So we have that bit when Yuka, after Yukako is, like, angry and stuff, like, Koichi doesn't like her, or, like, I don't know, I forgot exactly what happened, but she just sort of walks into moving traffic, <laughs> and then some guy, like, sticks his head out the window, like, what the hell are you doing? Get out of the road! And she's like, shut the hell up! <laughs> and she's, like, completely stoned face because she continues to walk across the road. It's great. And that's so good. Yukako's voice actress is actually really good. Like, she sounds pissed the fuck off. Yeah. Like, um... The other bit I have is absolutely legendary. It's a, it's another bit in which I have the um, the screenshot of it stay saved on my phone. It's where Josuke nearly <laughs> falls out of window. He just sort of like he's like sipping some milk out of a carton. Then he just slowly leans back and then doesn't even realize he's falling until he's like actually falling. He's like, oh wait, I got it. <laughs> oh, we need some milk. He just um, slowly whoop. Yeah, it's it's really funny and that. I, I, I always think it's funny when, like, characters use their stands for, like, really mundane shit. Like, yeah. uh, in this case, Crazy Diamond, like, saving Josuke from falling to his death. Um, the other example I can think of is, like, Johnny in Part 7 using Tusk to brush his teeth. Um, uh, which is pretty weird. Gyro, look, I can brush my teeth with my stand, bro. Check this out. <laughs> Bro, I see that. That's so cool, bro. Goddamn, bro. <laughs> That's the vibe they have. Yeah, it really is. Um, but, yeah. Um, uh, I I don't know, like, silly... St- I mean, these are kind of serious episodes, not gonna lie. Yeah, those um, are the only two I had. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think I think we're just gonna leave it at that for silly stuff. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is a pretty good episode. Uh, if you want to follow me, see all the silly, semi-serious stuff I do. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas M Brickman. I also do another podcast. Uh, with my buddy Kevin, where we talk about video game news and and do reviews and stuff like that. Uh, you can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called Post Game Content, and you can keep up with news regarding that by following at Post Game Con to at Post Game C O N on Twitter and Instagram. Emily, where can people find you on the internet? Twitter, a humble goose. That is me, the most humble of geese. And if you want to keep up with the news, memes, whatever Emily decides to post about part seven, uh, you can follow the show uh, on Twitter at I want to fight AR1 and I want to fight Araki on Instagram. And with all that said, we'll see you guys next time when we break down Diamond is Unbreakable episodes 23, 24, and 25. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>